Valley Christian Church. It is so awesome to be with you wonderful people today. Real quick, here at our Hopewell campus, at our Poughkeepsie campus online, can we just make a big noise for Jesus, just celebrating the name of our Savior. And if you're also watching online, wherever you are, feel free to say hello. Let us know where you're watching from. Let us know who's with you, why you're watching. We want to say hello to you too, all right? Listen, it's great to be here today, and I'm excited to be here as we are starting a new series called This Is us. And this series is dedicated to helping us understand and better ourselves when it comes to family relationships. And church, I want to be honest with you, I love my family. In fact, I love my family so much, I got pictures of my family, all right? Here's a quick picture of my immediate family. This is me, my sisters, my mom and dad. I love them very much. You might be sitting here like, why is Stephen not like standing with the rest of the group. True story, church, before we took this picture, a sprinkler in this garden that we were at sprayed all over my pants, and I had to turn so no one could see it. I promise you there are times where God just reminds me to stay humble, and this picture is one of those moments, all right? I also have a picture of the family that I'm married into. This is the awesome Johnson family. Many of you guys know them, the worship leaders, my wife that's in charge of Valley Kids, my mom, maker of the best mac and cheese in the world, along with also Valley Kids and also the mayor of Valley Christian Church, Aaron Johnson. I am super blessed to be a part of this family as well. And church, I'll be honest with you, I love my family. I think I'm in one of the best families in the world. World, but I also will say this, and I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, I don't have a perfect family. Truth be told, I don't think you have a perfect family. Because in order to have a perfect family, you have to have perfect people, and there are no perfect people. Which is why I think this series is so important, because while we are imperfect, I think that there are things that we can do to better our families as we better ourselves. And that's why we have this series called This Is Us. Now, church, when we decided to do this series, This Is Us, on family relationships, the first thing that came to my mind was the TV show, This Is Us, that also talks about family relationships. Real quick, make some noise here in Hopewell, Poughkeepsie, type in online. Who's a fan of the show, This Is Us? Anybody in here? All right, a lot of people actually are big fans of the show, This Is Us. Church, I'll be honest, I... I love the show This Is Us, but I am an occasional watcher. My wife, Jasmine, she is a devoted watcher to This Is Us. She does not miss an episode. True story, there was one time I went to go do some errands and I came home and my wife was watching the TV show This Is Us in her room, in our, in our bedroom. And I remember, you ever have it actually where you go somewhere and you find your friends and family watching a TV show, but you don't know the context of it, so it all just looks crazy to you. That was that moment. I came in, it was a dramatic scene happening, and I was just like, what in the world is going on with the show? So I sat down to watch the show with my wife, but I don't have the same like emotional attachment as she does. So after this particular scene happens, I decide to say a joke. I say something to the degree of, why they gotta be so dramatic though? Like what? What's the big deal? And 
after I said that, I thought it was funny, but then immediately I started feeling like radiation of anger coming from the other side of the room. And I noticed that like the sky outside went dark and my wife, she didn't even look at me. My wife just paused the video and then she said, get out. Lightning struck. It was so terrifying. Church, I'm not going to lie. I didn't just leave the room. I left the house. I made sure that I did not say another thing or do another thing in order to mess up her viewing experience of This Is Us. We actually even had a Super Bowl party, and the Super Bowl party had an after party to watch This Is Us. My wife doesn't use a crock pot anymore because of This Is Us. Some of you guys know why that is. But still, my wife loves the show. I know many of you do. I think it's some of the smartest writing on television. And here's the thing. As I was preparing for this message today and I was watching the show This Is Us, there was a particular scene that happened that actually shaped the entire message that I have today. Today we're talking about the five instabilities of a family. And there's more than five instabilities, but I think there are five that really do affect us. And I actually want to show you the image that I'm talking about, the clip that I'm talking about. But before I do, for anyone here that hasn't seen the show, let me give you just a quick understanding of This Is Us. This Is Us is based off the Pearson family, these lovely people that you see here. There's the father, Jack, and his wife, Rebecca. And early on in the show, they find out that they are pregnant with triplets. They give birth to two of the triplets, one whose name is Kevin, the other one whose name is Kate. But unfortunately, the third baby does not make it. However, in the hospital, they hear that there is another baby that was born, but was abandoned by his parents. And they decide to, excuse me, they decide to adopt this baby and they name him Randall, who's the boy we see right there. The show is very interesting because it happens in different timelines. So we see the Pearson family here, but then we also see the Pearson family when they get older. And these are the three children once they get older. Kevin grows up to be an actor, but he ends up having an addiction problem, which is interesting because his father, Jack, also had an addiction problem and his grandfather had an addiction problem. Kate ends up dealing with obesity issues, and this is something that's a big uh, trouble for her as she grows up. And then Randall grows up to be seemingly very successful, has a wife and children, but at the same time deals with a lot of the issues of being abandoned by his actual parents, being adopted into a white family, Family. So you see elements of all of these things happening in the show. So it's so cool because you connect with different people in different ways. So I want to show you this clip. And this clip is of Kevin after he's gone to rehab for his addiction and his family coming to see him and them having a very difficult conversation about the origins of his addiction. Let's watch this together. Rebecca, do you have an opinion about your husband's alcoholism? Did you ever talk to your children about their father being an addict? Did you ever warn them that they would have the gene? Uh, my, my children lost their father when they were 17. They didn't have their father at their high school graduation. Randall didn't have his father when his children were born. Kate will not have her father at her wedding. So they had 17 years of memories, and that's it. There won't be any new ones for the rest of their lives. So, no, 
No, I did not sit them down and color their memories of their father by talking about the one part of him that wasn't perfect. And you really do a disservice by calling my husband an addict because he was so much more than that. Thank you. It's interesting that you bring up examples of Kate and Randall, but not Kevin. What? Kate not having her father at her wedding and Randall not having his father when his children were born. Yes, because those were just the first two examples that came to my mind. But don't you find it interesting that you have specific examples for your other children, but not Kevin? I don't. I don't find it interesting. I find it typical, to be honest with you. I mean, this is what we talk enough, about. Mom, dude, you enough. Never... You don't have to lay into her. Okay, here we go. Yeah, here we go is right. Look, I... I've tried to empathize with you, Kevin. I really have. I've held my tongue while you've whined about your childhood. A childhood which I was there for, by the way, which I bore witness to. Your football tosses on the lawn with Dad. Your tummy rubs from Mom when you had a fever. See, Barbara may not have been there, but I was there. I've held my tongue. But I will not hold my tongue while you go after our mother for not parenting. I'm not you. going after our mother, Randall. Why do you always twist things around He's like that? He's not, I'm not twisting going anything, Kevin. He's simply defending me. Oh, I'm sorry, Mom. You're right. I'm sorry. Why don't you take his side? Because that's. No, what I am not taking anybody's side. You want to talk about your tortured childhood? Huh? You want to compare baggage? Randall, <laughs> let's Randall, do that. No, I would never compare my tortured Kevin. childhood with yours, Randall, because I wasn't abandoned or adopted no. or I didn't have anxiety or I'm not a genius. No, you're Kevin. definitely not that, Kevin. You know what else you're not? You're not an addict, okay? The only thing that you're addicted to is attention. I mean, what happened, Kev? Your movie wrapped, you weren't rolling with Sly and Ron Howard anymore, nobody was looking at you, so you had to get us all up here. All eyes on you, cue drug problem. Okay. Okay, Kev. Okay, guys. No, you know so, what? I, I just, I'm, I want to know your thoughts on this, Randall. Why do you think your daughter was hiding in my car? Why do you think your daughter was hiding in my car? Have you ever thought about that? What about it? She was avoiding the Randall show. Don't you dare No, no, talk welcome to the Randall man. show, ladies Kevin, and gentlemen. Kevin. Adopted by white people, two dads. Does it get any more interesting than that? Well, not for Randall. So you, you move your dying father into your home without thinking about what your wife or what your kids think of that, and then you bring some, some strange girl into the house after he dies, right? And the only person sitting there that no one's paying attention to is your daughter, Tess. You know what, I'm done, man. No, Randall, I'm Randall, done. Randall. And cue Randall out the door, cue mom chasing her favorite son. This is no. such a predictable movie. You are so predictable. You raise your voice hey, to her hey, one more hey. time. All your children you love equally, right? That's yes, what you keep saying. do love yeah, all I'm my sure children the same. Wouldn't it feel refreshing, though, just to right here in this forum, because this is where you do that kind of stuff, to just tell everyone the truth, which is that you love Randall the most. Oh, He's your favorite, not right? True. Kevin, it's not true. That's absolutely it's ridiculous. ridiculous. I'm yeah, okay, not it's ridiculous. Say and then that, one Kevin. thing that you and I have. One thing that you and I have that is special, that is just you and me. Not 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 I all can't... of us. Not me and Randall. Not me and Kate. Kevin, can you stop? I I I'm I'm, I'm flustered and it's not kind of you. Well, what just you're admit doing. that you love Randall more. We can stop pretending to be. No, this he was just family. easier. It was easier, and he didn't recoil when I touched him, and he wasn't some sullen teenager who was angry at me for no reason, and he didn't. Abandon me and move away after his father died. Whoa. 
this would be a really great time to go to commercial break and look at some puppies or one of those Charmin commercials with the bears right now. Unfortunately, when you're preach, you don't have commercial breaks, so we have to continue on. That was intense. But I think a lot of us in this room, at some point in that dialogue that the family was having, had feelings that kind of resonated with us. Things that we might have felt about our own families and our own situations. And we don't just see truths about our own family from a show like This Is Us, but we actually also see this in the Bible. That's one of the things I actually love about the Bible. The Bible is not a book of fantasies or things put together for our entertainment. The Bible is a book of real people living real life and sometimes even the darkest of circumstances. When you see that the first family in the Bible had two brothers and one of them killed the other out of jealousy, as crazy as that is, we see things like that happen all the time in our society. So I want to focus today on a particular family in the Bible that exposes the instabilities that many families have that we also could see from that clip in that show, This Is Us. The first thing that we see in the Bible that we also see in that clip is favoritism. Favoritism is seen in many families. In fact, who here will be bold enough to say that they believe their parents had a favorite? Anybody in here? Anybody? I know my family had favorites. They would never admit to it, but they believed they had favorites. If my sisters were here, they would say that I was the favorite because I was the only boy of my mother's four children, and I was a little bit more low maintenance in raising compared to my sisters. I, however, think that my youngest sister was the favorite. In fact, I think most of the time, the youngest sibling is the favorite. I feel like your parents work super hard on all the older kids, and by the last child, for whatever reason, they either have figured it out or they just gave up, and they just let the kid do whatever they want. That's just my opinion, but either way, we see favoritism not only in our lives, but we see this happen in the lives of people in the Bible. In Scripture, we see the family of Abraham. And if you're not familiar with who Abraham is, Abraham was a man in the book of Genesis that God promised him that he would be the father of many nations. In fact, three of the biggest religions today, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, all have roots that go back to Abraham. And Abraham, at that time when he received that promise, was so old he thought he couldn't have kids, but he ends up having a son named Isaac. Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah, and we see this in Genesis 25, starting at verse 21. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children, similar to what happened with his father. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. One's name was Esau, the other's name was Jacob. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Again, they see favoritism happening 
because they actually gravitate to one a little bit more. One child was a little bit more easier for one of the parents to handle. And favoritism can happen for several reasons in a family, and it doesn't have to be with just a father to his children, but this can happen amongst uncles and aunts and grandchildren as well. We can experience favoritism, and that can sometimes create a little bit of a resentment and uh, uh, an issue amongst others once that feeling of favoritism is so prominent. In fact, we see later on that this favoritism goes to a toxic level in Genesis uh, 27. And, and I, the scripture is not on your notes or in the screen, but in Genesis 27, we hear the story of how Isaac was becoming old and he was losing his vision. So he was going to pass the generational blessing to Esau. The blessing was from originally from God that says that he will bless whoever they bless, that he will curse whoever they cursed. And he wanted to give it to Esau because he was the oldest. But Rebecca, loving Jacob more, convinced Jacob to trick their father because he could not see into giving the blessing to him. And this is the next thing that we see happen uh, as an instability in family, and that is deception. Like I said before, Rebecca told her son to deceive his father into receiving the blessing. But that's not the first time that there's deception seen in this family. In Genesis 26, we hear the story of how Isaac went into a foreign land, and even though he was promised by God that he would be protected, he decided to do what he had to do in order to stay safe. See, in this time period, it was very common for women to be objectified and used as sometimes as property. So when Isaac went into this new land, he was scared that someone was going to kill him in order to gain his wife, who was very beautiful. So instead of saying that it was his wife, when they moved into this new area, he said that his wife was actually his sister in order for him to not be harmed. Now, that's something very deceptive to do, and that's something that can even be troubling from a children's perspective because they had their kids at that time, because he's literally telling his kids as they go through the neighborhoods and as they grow up, as long as we live in this area, your mom is not your mom, she's your aunt. And this isn't the first time we see this deception either. In fact, we see this deception happen in his father, Abraham, who also did the same lie. But we don't just see that happen in the life of Abraham, and we don't just see that happen in the life of Isaac, but we also see Jacob, who was very deceptive. And once he has kids, his kids are deceptive. Deception is something that is very occurring in this family, along with favoritism. And you here at, at this church may notice that there are certain things that are just common in your family. Similar to what we saw in that clip from This Is Us, Kevin that had an addiction, he didn't just have it, but his father had it and his grandfather had it. And this trend that we see is called the generational sin. Generational sin is something that is passed on from one generation to another. Sometimes it's one particular sin. Sometimes it's a group of sins that a particular family just cannot seem to escape unless they actively oppose it. Truth is, church, I believe that many of us are dealing with generational sins, and that could be divorce. That could be uh, that could be 
addiction as well. That could be things that can cause conflict and issues about us. But the biggest thing about that is many times when it comes to that type of sin problem, when it comes to that generational sin, deception is usually there with it. We like to deny those things or we like to keep it a family secret. I know many people where despite the infidelities that are happening, despite sometimes even the drug issues or the alcohol issues that are happening in the family, many times people will get together. Sometimes also I need to mention this physical abuse, a spouse, parents that are actually physically hurting each other, but still when they get in family environments, they decide to cover it up. They decide to act like there's nothing wrong. They, they, they play happy and they ignore the elephant in the room. Church, there are many people in here today that are coming here that show happy, healthy marriages, that show that there are nice, wholesome family at church services. But once they get in the car, it's a completely different story. That is deception. And that is something that can cause much instability in a home. And I would be missed if I say this, because deception is not just something that's happening in the homes. That's not just something that's happening in families, but that's something that's continually happening in organizations, that's happening in churches. We've seen many people in the Catholic church and Protestant churches where the truth is coming out about um, inappropriate behavior with children or inappropriate behavior with coworkers and assistants that are completely unorthodox, but there has been deception, there has been cover-up, and those things need to be exposed as often as possible because only then can we find resolution and freedom. Amen? But then we move on because the third thing that we see as an instability in families is control. We see it in our culture how dysfunctional control is many times in families shown in the manipulation of things. Manipulation of uh, making a child feel bad or twisting somebody's shoulder because of, uh, so, because of something that you've said or something that you've done. Twisting somebody's shoulder. I don't think that's an actual saying, but you get what I'm trying to say, right? Twisting somebody's arm, that's the way you say that. Twisting somebody's arm because of something that you did for them in the past or keeping something covered up, that can sometimes be a negative form of control. Church, if I could be honest as well, there are many people in our families and even in our community where they always just seem to be in a bad mood. And the reason why many times they're in a bad mood is because that's their way of controlling things. Many of us know that feeling of having a good time and someone with a bad attitude shows up and completely messes everything up. That's the same way that many people like to operate because when they're in a bad mood, when they're in a place of sadness or in a place of negativity, they can many times get more of what they want. And we see this so many times in families, but we don't just see this in families, but we also see this element of ogre over legalism many times and how families deal with one another. Many times keeping children so suppressed or having rules that seem so uh, strict that it causes for that child to rebel and sometimes the worst of ways. And I believe that there should be um, rules and regulations to any home. There should be guidelines, but over legalism, over strictness can cause for a rebellion of sorts. And that's also a symptom of control. The next thing that we see is the inability to resolve conflict. If you're ever in a situation with two or more people, you will have conflict. It's 
inevitable. In fact, I would say that if you have a conflict-free relationship with somebody, you're not actually in a true close relationship with them because, excuse me, um, conflict is the number one way that shows that you are drawing close to people. In fact, me and my wife, one of the things that we do, because we do many premarital counselings, we like to ask couples, what was the last fight that they had? Or what was the biggest fight that they have? And if they say they've never been in an argument, then sometimes we'll try to make one up for them. Because <laughs> unless you argue, you will never be able to see who that person really is. I'm just joking. We don't make them fight. But we'll, we'll say some stuff that will stir some stuff up. That's, that's for their health. In the life of Jacob. We see that after he steals his brother's blessing, he decides to run off and avoid his brother at all costs. And then many times after we see Jacob going into different relationships where he will be deceptive and he will do wrong things towards them. And instead of dealing with those things, he'll run away and he, and he won't deal with those conflicts. We also not only see this in the life of Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, but we also see this in the life of King David. Further down the line, King David hears the news that his son has raped his sister uh, in a completely dark and incestful situation. But King David, because of his inability to deal with conflict, does nothing which causes for the family to completely implode and David's life is completely changed from that moment on because he did not step up to defend his daughter or confront his son for the horror that he did. And church, if we can be honest, there are many times in our own lives and in our own families where we have seen the inability to resolve conflict cause for much toxicity to happen in our lives. Scripture says this in Matthew 18, starting verse 15, that if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This verse is simply saying this, that if you have a conflict with somebody because you will have conflict with someone, you need to approach them. And if they don't understand you at first, you need to bring other people with you to solve it. But things need to be solved. Romans 12 verses 17 and 18 goes on and says this as well. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love this verse right here because if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, we can do the best that we can to resolve a conflict. But if that person is not willing, if that person does not is not able, then we've done our part and we have to move on from it. But we need to be peacemakers, not just here here in the church, not just in the workplace, but with our family members. And that can be a difficult thing because the people closest to us are the ones that can usually hurt us the most. The last thing that we do see as an instability in relationships is broken relationships. And this is the point where because of things that have happened before, maybe it was one of the four things that I've already mentioned where family members just simply don't talk to each other. They are harboring bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone because of something that happened 
in the family dynamic. Church, I will be honest, there are times where there are different relationships where you need to separate yourself from them. Where you need to say, listen, it is actually better for me, it is more healthy for me that you no longer are near my family, that you are no longer in a talking relationship with me. And those are difficult times, but those are necessary things that need to happen as well. But there are also many times, and this is majority of the time, where because of something that happened, because we were unable to humble ourselves and, and, and have the tough conversations, we end up just breaking relationships altogether. There are people today, maybe you're here in this room or watching in Poughkeepsie or online, where you have family events where you can't even have certain people there. You have family events, whether it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, what have you, somebody's birthday, where it can't go down without somebody getting in a shouting match with somebody else. It's sad, it's disappointing, but it's just the reality that you're in because relationships have been broken. In the life of Jacob, we see in Genesis 27, after Esau found out that his brother went behind his back and stole the blessing that he was supposed to receive. We see this in Genesis 27, verse 41. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death. Like I said, Esau was very old. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. These guys were twins. These guys were brothers. They shared a womb together. They grew up together. But because of issues in their family, Esau literally makes up in his mind, the next time I see my brother, I'm going to kill him. You might not be at the point of murder, but you probably have some people in your life where if they came into this church service right now and sat next to you, this whole service would be interrupted by the level of hate that would spew from you. And church, like I said before, there are certain people we have to separate ourselves from, but it's not God's will and order for us to live that way. One of the things that gives me hope about this whole situation, because let's be honest, a lot of these things that we're dealing with in our relationships with other people, it wasn't something that we did, but it was something that was done to us. And I find encouragement from this, because like I said, Abraham had issues, and then he gave birth to Isaac, and Isaac had issues, and he gave birth to Jacob and Esau, and they had their issues, and Jacob ends up having 13 sons. He has even more kids than that, but we know he has 13 sons, and he has a son named Joseph. And again, he has a favorite with it, Joseph. He loves Joseph so much, he buys Joseph stuff that he doesn't buy any of the other brothers. And his brothers end up hating him so much that they sold, sell him for slavery and then tell his father, Jacob, that he accidentally was killed in a terrible accident. Jacob ends up growing up, and I, I won't tell you his whole story, but long story short, he ends up becoming the prime minister of Egypt when he gets older. And his brothers end up going to Egypt because there's a great famine in that part of the Middle East. And they find their brother Jacob and they're scared because they think Jacob is actually going to 
put harm on them. See, today in our culture, we like to have this phrase called keep that same energy, which means if someone has the boldness to talk bad about you behind their back or to do something wrong behind your back, they better be able to have that same energy when they see you in person. So now they're scared when they see Jake, when they see Joseph because they think Joseph is going to have that same energy with them and he's going to do something horrible to them. But instead, Joseph says this in Genesis 5, verse, excuse me, Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. I want to say that again because that affects me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. This is something that is echoed through scripture. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This means whether it's our family, whether it's whatever situation, that not everything that happens to us is good, but in the hands of God, there is nothing that is ever wasted. There is nothing that someone can do to us, even from the closest person, that could not be used for good in the hands of God. Joseph being sold into slavery ended up Joseph being put in an opportunity where he was able to save many people through his rule in Egypt. And I believe that there are things that God is trying to do and use through the pain that you might be dealing with today in the lives of, your, in the lives of someone that has been hurt by their family. And I also want to repeat this. I actually want to state this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. If you're in this room today and you've dealt with issues with your family, you have things with your family, you have family history, generational sins that are in your life, I want to let you know that if you have Jesus Christ in your life today, you can start something new. Your bloodline may be tainted by bad things, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have a new beginning, you have a new start, you have a new path that you can take. And that's not to say that those things that happened in the past didn't happen. We don't deny those things, but we also say that those things no longer define us. Those things are no longer the things that keep us bound and crippled. Through the power of Jesus Christ, we have new life. We have a new hope. We have a new day in him, and we can start a new family trend through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the life that Christ gives us. So for the rest of our time today, I want to actually focus on four things that I believe can help us start a new line in our families that can change our family dynamic for the better. First thing I think we need to do is that we need to know who we are through our history. Something that's very popular right now is people doing the Ancestry.com or the 23andMe. Real quick, by round of applause here, Poughkeepsie Online, let us know, have you taken it? All right, a few of you guys have taken it. It's, it's very interesting. It's very profound. I have not taken mines yet. My aunt took one, and she called me, and she was telling me all of this interesting stuff. The thing that I thought was most interesting was that, church, you will not believe this, but according to that ancestry test, I am 97% black. I can't believe it. That was such a shock to me, but 97% black. I could have never figured that out on my own, but something that was really interesting. 
On a serious note, though, we started talking about the family trends and we started seeing that there were things that were happening back then in our family from many years ago that are still prominent today. It's actually crazy to me because there are things that my dad does. There are things that even my mother does that I used to not be able to stand. Things that drove me up the wall. But now I'm saying the same things that they're saying. I'm doing the same things that they're doing. I sat next to my dad when he visited the other day. I was sitting in the chair the same way my dad was sitting in the chair. I never paid. Like, I don't know how that happens, but it happens. Church, there are things that we're trying to fight against. There are habits that we're trying to deal with in our lives. And I think many of us are trying to mow over weeds, not realizing how deep those roots are. Church, I believe it's important, and I don't think you have to necessarily do Ancestry.com. I did this for my own self. I just sat down, and I spent 30 minutes just thinking, okay, what was my grandparents like? How many times were they married? What was their family relationship like? What was my parents like? How is these things affecting me? I just took 30 minutes, and I just did my own little family tree, and I realized some of the patterns, some of the habits that were happening in my older generations that I'm dealing with today. And church, it was important to me because now that I know what those things are, I also know how to fight against it. I also know how to be able to combat those things. I also know what I should be focusing on because I don't want the sins of my fathers to be represented in me. I don't want the same issues in my marriage that my parents had and my grandparents had to be also the same issues that I have with my wife. So I want to be able to overcome those things. And I think the first way that we do that is knowing what those things are. Second thing is I believe that we need to have healthy community. And you may be here right now and you know that you don't have a healthy family. You don't even have a family members that would consider themselves Christians. But I want to let you know in Christ we are a family. Scripture says that we are brothers and sisters through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been made a family, which is why we have so many things here that help develop community. And on September 30th, what we have on our group link event, and that's your opportunity to sign up for a community group, a short-term group, a volunteer team. We have our uh, Valley Student Ministry for our middle school and high school students. We have our 20-something ministry for people that are in their 20s. And we do all of these things not because we want to make your schedule a lot busier. We already know you're busy. But we want to do this because we want to prioritize community. We want to prioritize you being able to get with different people from different backgrounds, but you're united in Christ that can help stretch you and challenge you and encourage you in the toughest of times and the greatest of times. And from those relationships, you are able to grow and better yourself and including your actual blood family. There's power in that in having healthy community. The third thing that we need to do is we need to create healthy boundaries. There's a verse in Proverbs that I constantly go to that says, like a city without walls is like a person without self-control. And what that means is if you don't have proper boundaries in your life, everybody else will be able to control your life. There are some parents in here where their, parent, where their children rule their lives. That's a boundary issue. 
needing to be able to say when certain things can happen, when they can have what they want. Those are you developing boundaries. There are some people in here where even though you're married to somebody, you're married to your wife or to your husband, you are still being quite controlled by your parents' opinion, by your parents' way of doing things, by your family's traditions. And you, that's not the way you want it. That's just the way it is. That's a boundary issue. You need to create healthy boundaries because anytime you step into a marriage, you are the nuclear family. What you and your spouse decide should be what it is. Also, I think sometimes we, uh, we don't need to necessarily be private too much, but I think sometimes we tell too many family members too much information. That's, again, a boundary issue. We need to have better boundaries in regards to these things. And the last thing that I believe we need to have is we need to have a godly vision for our families. I think a lot of us, we're just kind of aimless when it comes to how we want to grow in our marriage. I think we're aimless in how we want to develop and grow as a family. And I think we constantly are seeing the results of that. Without vision, chaos comes into play and that doesn't mean that things won't come against our visions but that we need to still have an idea we need to have a focus of what we want for our family and how we want to bless them and how we want to grow in them quickly i i want to tell you this one of the things that i loved about my dad and he's not gone he's still alive but one of the things i love about my dad is that my dad had a vision for our family that we would be a family of prayer and I used to have times when I was young and I would run and I want to play with my dad. And my dad was praying on his knees for our family. And there were so many times where I was like, oh, dad is always praying. Why is dad so spiritual? Whatever. But because of my dad's example, I've learned the priority of prayer myself. I have learned to make that a priority is, uh, in my own family with my wife. And we make sure that we pray daily and we make sure that we pray for other people. We see focus. We see uh, priority in prayer. But that's because of the vision that my father cast for me. And now I carry on that vision. What are you carrying on to your next generation? What is it that you are trying to do in your family that not only blesses them now, but causes for the next generation of your family to grow? We need that. We need that focus and that vision. And church, I want to say this. Because these are great practical things, but I truly do believe that if you're someone in here today and you don't have Christ in your life, you can try these things. These things are completely applicable to someone that doesn't believe in Jesus. But I'll let you know it will be difficult. It's already difficult. But it's going to be even harder. See, I, I want to let you know this. That we live in a world where television, whether it's This Is Us, as great as it is, or, or the music we listen to, the movies that we see, the social gatherings that we're at, everything around us screams, be about yourself. Do you and don't care about other people's opinions. Don't worry about the haters. Church, the only place that I can find, the only place where I can see that there are people, that there is something that is trying to help me be the best person that I can be, it's the Bible. It's not the only book that I read. It's not the only thing that I use, but it's the most important thing that I have. Being in a church that is growing, that is, uh, that is abundant with life and focused on helping others, 
that is a priority for me. That is something that I need because everywhere else in my life is telling me to not be about it. And if I really want to win in my marriage, if I want to win in my family, if I want to win in my workplace, if I want to win anywhere, I need God on my side. And I believe you do too. So I want to pray today that whatever situation that you're in with your family, maybe you have a great family, but it's not a perfect family. Maybe you have a family that is completely destroyed and literally you even hearing this have anxiety where it's like, I don't even think I want to try any of this stuff. Can I just say this real quick that you can't change your family, but you can change you. You can't choose your family, but you can choose the type of person you want to be in your family. And even if no one else in your family changes, just like Joseph was in the scriptures, you can be the person, you can be the beacon of light, you can be that person of hope that stands firm in your family where everybody else can look to you. And they may say things about you, they may not like all the things that you do and say, but you can be that person that is a Christ-like image of what family should be, even in the midst of the most toxic of environments. I believe that for you today. So let's pray. Will you pray with me? God, you know everyone under the sound of my voice, everyone in this audience, everyone watching in Poughkeepsie, everyone watching online. And God, you know our family dynamics. You know the pain that we're dealing with. You know the suffering that we've been through. And Jesus, I just pray today that first that you bring healing, that you bring resolution, peace, to all of those things because Lord I know that we need it but Jesus also I pray that what we learn today will not just challenge us but it will change us Lord your word not only shows us these things the instabilities that happen in families but Lord it also shows us how we can overcome them and I pray Lord that today that we begin to make steps that begin change and transformation in the families that we belong to and it will be all in your name. And maybe you're here today where you want to have a better family dynamic. You want to have a better relationship. But at the same time, you don't have Christ. And you need Christ in your life. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus today. The word of God says that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and you will become that new creation that I mentioned before, no longer defined by what your family has done or what you've done in your family, but by what Christ has done in you. So quickly, I want you to repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, please come into my life. I thank you for your love. I thank you that I'm in your family. Let today be a new day. In Jesus' name, amen.